Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. Micaiah, it's your favorite record of all time. What do our listeners need to know about Pet Sounds? We've, we've been talking about a lot of greats uh, lately, you know, with Hendrix and Zeppelin and uh, we got, we still have Carol King to talk about, you know, they're, you know, but this is one that is pretty much firmly always right at the top, right? If you look at the best albums of the sixties, if you're looking at any iteration of the Rolling Stone 500, I mean, this album is always in the top five, right? I mean, there is a lot of love for this record. Um, even though at the time it wasn't necessarily a commercial success, a success so a lot of the love comes from musicians and artists and music writers and i think that's kind of an important note to come out with and it's an album that's a major turning point for the beach boys you know um they were in their early career they were doing like a very inspired by doo-wop music and chuck berry and eddie cochran and doing that kind of thing and then of course more so into like the phil specter ronettes and the crystals and even covering them on their albums and then they're pushed by the beatles to try and be you know push their, their creativity even further and that's kind of where we get pet sounds which is this unique kind of moment in their discography where much like how the Beatles stopped touring to make music, Brian stopped touring with the band so that he could, you know, write music and make this album. And so they come back and they record the vocals and it's some stuff's is challenged. They change the song, hang on to your ego to, I know there's an answer, you know, so it's, you know, there's still some discussions that need to be have, you know, uh, and um, what you get is this record that is been called a masterpiece for over 50 years now, uh, especially from the people who love it, but even people who aren't big fans of the beach boys can look at this album and say, okay, yes, this is a masterpiece. This has, you know, you can hear this record and you can hear, you know, anything from, you know, the indie cool wave music of the nineties into maybe something like fleet foxes. Now, I mean, like, uh, everyone there, there, there's so many, bands that pull from their draw from this well of creativity and it's not like they're trying to recreate god only knows or something or recreate songs on this album but there's an energy around this album that you can feel you can feel how this album was made and a lot of that comes with the fact that they're they've released those these session cds of, of literally how this album was made and it's become this point of obsession for people who are creatives who not just making music but other things as well as wanting to create something that's very challenging and not being embarrassed by that and really putting yourself out there and maybe it's only maybe it's partially understood at the time maybe it takes longer for people to get it but the fact that it gets made at all i think is a miracle and um a great point for people to look at and be like okay the thing that i want to make is worth making it's one of those things where I, I love it so much that it is hard to articulate because I will never be able to say the intelligent thing that 
correlates exactly to how this album makes me feel. You know, it's, it's one of those kinds of things. Yeah. So I think we should probably go ahead here. It, it, no surprise at all. This is your favorite album of all time. You nominated this last season and mm-hmm. I did not. And um, we had a conversation about it. I, I believe, I believe wholeheartedly this is among the great albums that this is among the top hundred greatest albums of all time without question. Mm-hmm. It is not a personal favorite for me. I think a big part of the reason why is there are some, some classic beach boys songs. I mean, there, there are some hits on, on this album. You've got, wouldn't it be nice. You've got sloop John B, which we'll talk about later. I'm sure um, you've got God only knows, but the rest of the album, including the first single that was released from the album, Caroline No, is very different, is, is a huge departure for the Beach Boys, for a band that had really become famous for doing this kind of surf rock, California bubblegum, you know, kind of a, a, a new version of that Phil Spector kind of girl group. I mean, it that's a lot of what they're leaning on at the beginning of their career. And this album is such a departure from that. And it's a heavy album. If, if you're listening to the beach boys expecting happy, feel good music, this is a deeply introspective album. This is an album that um, you really have to give it time. You have to invest in this album. Now, when you do, investment's the right word because when you invest in this album, it pays dividends. I mean, it, it, it you are going to see a, 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 a huge return on your investment for the time you put in to this album, but you have to be willing to put that time in. And I think for a long time in my life, I was not willing to put that time in. And so I really didn't, I, I didn't fully understand or fully grasp what made the the more introspective songs, the more yearning and longing songs of this album, not just so good, but so important to the history of pop music. And so I, I, I feel like I am coming around on that. And this is an album that just in the last two years, Makai and I, that you and I have been doing this podcast that I have come to appreciate in, in a much greater way than than i had before and i'm grateful for that and i'm excited for us to be doing this album today even though when we first started this podcast i wasn't certain this is an album that we would be doing in our first two seasons and now i can absolutely say this is an album i'm glad we're talking about but we're not talking about it alone we have an incredible guest today Uh, Will Hines, who is an actor, who is an improviser, who is a writer and performer and musician. Um, His uh, his credits are long. You can visit his IMDb page or check him out um, on Comedy Bang Bang, the podcasting network or on Earwolf. He has uh, a bunch of podcasts available there. Uh, you can see him on TV. He's been on episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, Sex Lies of College Girls, uh, a, a number of different series going back almost 15, 20 years. So he has been everywhere. He's also a fanatic fan 
of the Beatles. And so we've invited him here to talk about the Beach Boys. So when we are going to take a quick break, we're going to let you hear from our independent record store of the week, one that Will has recommended in Los Angeles. We're going to let you hear from our sponsor, Anchor, and then we will be back with our guest, Will Hines. Is there an independent record store that you shop at that you want to give some love to? Uh, I love that question. I'm going to say Permanent Records in Los Angeles. Permanent Permanent Records. Uh, I really, I really dig them. Um, although they just moved locations and I have not been to the new one yet, so I don't know where it is. But uh, that 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 would be my pick. That's Permanent Records in Los Angeles, California. Permanent Records is available online at PermanentRecordsLA.com. They are selling records through their website and Instagram accounts, Permanent Records LA. And you can also find them at the brand new Permanent Records Roadhouse. Permanent Records Roadhouse is the very first bar, record store, live music venue in Los Angeles. Their hours are 6 p.m. to midnight, Wednesday through Sunday, and you can find out more about what's happening there on their Instagram account, Permanent Records Roadhouse. heard his voice on the comedy bang bang podcast as well as the podcast that he co-hosts screw it we're just going to talk about the beatles screw it we're just going to talk about comics you can't handle the sleuths at cbb world wayne and rooney wayne and rodney i'm sorry on Bandcamp. quite all right and how to be the greatest improviser <laughs> on earth um uh, a, a, thank you. thanks for uh, you, you an hit illustrious all. career lots to plug um so we we know you from seemingly every form of media will it's good to have you on the podcast man my pleasure now admittedly this is micaiah's favorite album of all time oh so really he is he is coming to this um, with very, very strong opinions. It is okay. an album I think is wonderful, um, but it is not a top 10 personal favorite for me. So let's okay. ask you, Will, what is your relationship to the Beach I'm Boys? I'm here to rip it apart. I hate it. I, I've lied to you guys 
the whole time. This album's a piece of crap. There's nothing catchy on it. It's not influential. You know, nobody likes it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, my, um, my personal relationship to it is that I, uh, I came to it sort of late. Like I, when I was in high school, I would always, which was in the late eighties, I would read it like on the list of like greatest albums and stuff. And I listened to it at that time and sort of like, didn't get it. I was like, yeah, it's pretty sounding, but I don't, it didn't like knock my socks off. Right. And then in my late twenties, when I started doing uh, improv comedy, um, all of my classmates loved it. We were all out at a bar and like they were all of a sudden we started raving about pet sounds. And then somebody went to the jukebox. I think it was Jake Fogelnest and put all of the tracks on the jukebox in order. And then, and everybody like sang along to every track. And I felt like so left out that I like went, you know, in the next week or so, I like gave it a hard listen uh, and forced myself to like become a student of it. Then like 10 years later, I moved to California and by then I put it on sort of to honor my move to California. And then it like knocked my socks off. I was playing it like in my kitchen in the morning sun coming into the windows and it was just like so beautiful and pastoral sounding. And, um, and then weirdly I couldn't stop listening to it for months. I got like obsessed, but it was sort of a long road. I always liked it. I mean, it's such a beautiful album that I can't imagine anybody disliking it, but it did take me a while before I could sort of like hear it as beautiful as it is, but now I adore it. I adore it. Well, shout out to a, a past guest on the podcast, Jake Vogelnest, for turning you on to, mm -hmm. to the album. And uh, again, man, what, what an incredible experience of moving to California and having the experience of listening to this, um, the, the kind of definitive California band as part of your move to the state. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it was kind of perfect. Uh, like, yeah, they just came on my shuffle and I was like, it was, um, put your head on my shoulder, uh, came on and it was just like so perfect. Um, I was like blown away and I don't know, like all of a sudden I could just hear the album with new ears and I like got it all mm. those years later. So, and I, again, I never disliked it, but, and then all the beach boys kind of opened up to me. I just all of a sudden could hear them as like, the magic band that they are um, and all these other songs from their past. Don't worry, baby. And uh, help me Rhonda. And just every single one of their songs became like magic all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, I had, a, I had a similar experience cause I had heard so many of the songs through movies. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like I think the first time I really heard God only knows was boogie nights. Okay. Um, and then by, college it was that thing of like i should really get into pet sounds like really really try and you know listen to it and really get into it and i was going to college in a, a st augustine florida which is a beach community and in that setting you know the album really opened up and that winter i flew out to nevada to be with my sister for the holidays and even being that far west um opened up like driving around in the west which is like that much space and using like the music of the beach boys to fill that space 
you know, just driving around the desert and hearing it, yeah. like really opened up like, like you said, like the Beach Boys in general, because then from there, it's just like looking at all the old singles and then looking forward to all like the weirder stuff. So yeah, similar, similar trajectory because and my, my parents were baby boomers. They grew up with like the surf rock side mm-hmm. of Beach Boys. So I always heard that stuff. Mm-hmm. Not particularly interested in things like surf in USA. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, Pet Sounds is where, you know, a real game changer. I think for me personally, the name of the band was an obstruction. Like the name is so, uh, makes them sound so, I don't know, silly or something or like, it's the dumbest name I think for, for, mm-hmm. for what the sound of the, like their sound is more magnificent and epic. Even the surf rock stuff I think is so more choral and like classical. I think like the, I wish they had a different, I don't know. There should be some kind of other, name i don't know what like some something more magic inspiring um something infantilizing about being little beach boys right like something like the beach boys it just sounds so silly i think they should have been called the dragons or something like that (laughs) (laughs) well well i want to ask you this You, you you kind of alluded to this idea that something happened that opened up pet sounds for you you went from being someone you know you you had a take or leave it yeah, you had, you had a positive impression of of this band, but that was pretty much it. And then something got unlocked for you, and it took you kind of deeper into appreciating this band, appreciating the Beach Boys, appreciating their music. If I can ask you, what what for you is it? Is there a way for you to uh, describe what that magic is? Is there is there some way of saying, hey, this is the thing I began to understand? about this band that I hadn't seen before. I was coming at them listening for singles, like hit singles, which they had before Pet Sounds, like just something catchy and snappy. Mm -hmm. And then I instead listened to it for like a mood, like kind of a melancholy, thoughtful meditation. Uh, I think I was listening, like I, I always... I think I wanted more. Wouldn't it be nice? Um, but wouldn't it be nice? I think as an outlier on this album, although it's great, but, um, and I think like every other track, like Caroline know is sort of more the emotional heart of it. I think, mm-hmm. or I just wasn't made for these times, something kind of slower and dreamier and sort of laying, just taking a nap in a sunny meadow. So I think it was like, don't listen for the hit and instead feel the vibe. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I came at it. I had the same experience with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. I'm a big Beatles fan, but it took a long time for that particular album to unlock for me. Same thing with a lot of Radiohead, like Kid A, I didn't get for a while. I was like, what's with the bleeps and bloops? I don't get it. Mm. Give me some karma police, please. But then <laughs> like, these albums, some some of them just they take longer to cook in my brain for whatever reason. I know perfectly well I'm not where I should be. I've been very aware you've been patient with me. Every time we break up, you bring back your life to me. And after all I've done to you, 
Yeah. What, what kind of unlocked it for me was thinking about those bookends of um, wouldn't it be nice and Caroline no, and then kind of understanding, oh, this is like a coming of age album. I started, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like um, a concept album, but going from starting out, wouldn't it be nice doing the teenage romance that they had been known for, but with instrumentation that was beyond what they had been doing previously and then ending on Caroline no is this like really melancholy you know starting to like wouldn't it be nice if we could live together so we didn't have to be away from each other all the time with like where does your long hair go where's the girl I used to know it's like oh that's a that's a, this album like Brian or whoever or really went through a journey here so then thinking about it that way and like that's not me like I gotta you know I packed up and split for the city like there there's kind of a loose narrative thing happening but I always used to say that I, I'm not looking as a young person listening to the record. Like I'm like, so going to be upset when I listen to wouldn't it be nice. And it's like no longer relevant to me. I think the lyrics are perfect for the songs, but I have to admit, I don't tune into them too much. Mm-hmm. Just little phrases now and then I, I dig. Um, I, uh, to me, the songs, the music is speaking even louder than the words. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, the words are perfect, but I almost would call the words unobtrusive. Like they don't get in the way of the music. I don't know. The, the, I'm dismissed. The, the lyrics are great. Um, they're sort of like just off kilter enough to be specific. Um, like they're not on the nose or anything, but I, they're not too showy either. Just, just a little, little choice, little choice, moves now and then that make them special but they you know don't talk put your head on my shoulder by itself well, that sounds like there's a million pop songs that have that kind of sentiment mm-hmm. but then when you lay it into that long slow dreamy music it becomes like a hypnotic mantra mm-hmm. that's like that's like uh i don't know i've never done any opiates but i feel like when people do opiates they're hoping it makes them feel like that sounds like it, this kind of dream state uh, coming of age. I think it's uh, yeah, it's like leaving innocence behind something. I don't know. It feels like something's gotten ruined for somebody and they're trying to, they're trying to come to peace with it. Maybe, maybe, maybe for Brian, it's probably a number of things, probably personal relationships and, you know, um, his relationship to the beach boys you know, mm-hmm. leaving some of that and his relationship with his father. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of things happening that Brian has sometimes articulated and, and other times not. But yeah, I think you're right there. And, you know, with Brian just always competing with Phil Spector and the Beatles and mm-hmm. trying to shed off that Beach Boys image and having people like Mike Love who be like, no, let's keep, let's stay in our lane. Yeah. This is working. And him being like, I, I think we got to try something else, you know, speaking of that. And, and I know, I know Will that you're a huge Beatles fan and love your podcast screw. We're just going to talk about the Beatles. And we see in this, I mean, if, if we're to believe the interviews from Paul McCartney and if we're to believe kind of the rock mythology, there really was in this mid sixties period, a, a kind of growing competition Mm-hmm. Uh, competition may be the wrong word a, 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 a rivalry a way of kind of spring each other on mm-hmm. 
between Paul McCartney and John Lennon to a lesser extent and Brian Wilson. And out of that comes this kind of Beatles beach boys rivalry. And, you know, the, the mythology around it, of course, is that the Beatles release revolver, right. Brian Wilson's answer to that is pet sounds. And then the Beatles answer to that is Sergeant Peppers. Yeah. Pretty, As a Beatles good, fan, what's your, what's your take on this rivalry? I think it's mostly between Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson. I don't think John Lennon was too engaged in it other than just being a fan. And I think it was like a healthy rivalry. I don't, I, I think they liked each other and like, were. I think they were flattered to be thought of as each other's rivals. Um, you know, I don't think it was like disrespect. It's not, it, it wasn't like how dare somebody say that this shoddy Beatles album is as good as my masterpiece. I think they were like mm-hmm. listening to revolver and sort of like Brian Wilson was probably like intimidated and wanted to like step it up. And then the same thing when McCartney heard pet sounds, there was like, Oh, we have to like, we have to step our game up. You know, if, if this is possible on a pop bands album, we can, we can do that. Um, I, I mean, I, I love that back and forth. I think it, it was good for both bands. Like, Mm-hmm. Um, it, if I mean the results are unbelievable. Th- those three albums you just said are like insanely great listening experiences that were leaps forward. I've got a I got a story I want to tell you guys that, and this story this is like a real like past passed on. I don't know. Uh, here's 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 here it is. So this guy, this guy was this video editor that I used to work with named Dave. Um, I used to have a day job at AOL where I like helped produce videos for their website that nobody would ever watch. And this, for this younger listeners, that... AOL means American <laughs> online. That was a precursor to all the things that we did to get online before you were born. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he was a huge beach boys fan. Right. And he knew I was a Beatles fan and he's like, Hey, uh, I got a story to tell you. And he was talking about how he lived in LA and Brian Wilson was doing two nights of concerts around when Smile came out, the, the re-released Smile in 2004 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And my friend was such a big Beach, Beach Boys fan. He bought tickets for two nights in a row, Brian Wilson show. And first night, he, he said it kind of sucked. Brian Wilson was kind of coasting through it, was kind of like not putting a lot of energy into it. Like it was fine. The band is great. The songs are great. But he felt that Brian wasn't giving his all whether that's true or not, I don't know. And he brought all of his friends this first night. Uh, second night, he had, was just going alone because there was nobody else in his friend group crazy enough to want to see Brian Wilson two nights in, the ro- in a row at the Hollywood Bowl, this was. So he went the second night and he had splurged and gotten front row seats because for just when you're getting a single seat, you can often get a better thing than if you have to get it with other people. So he's sitting up pretty up close at the Hollywood Bowl concert starts feels like the same kind of energy and he's kind of bummed then paul mccartney walks in and sits down like just an audience member second row and brian wilson sees him and is like and like points him out and applauds to him and paul waves all of a sudden brian wilson is completely energized and like the concert transforms and he's like really giving it and telling stories in between and like these songs have all this verve to them. Then Paul Simon comes in and sits down next to Paul McCartney. Another big round of applause and waves. Brian Wilson's even more excited. At the end of the show, 
Paul Simon and Paul McCartney get up and they all sing uh, Let It Be together um, and maybe vegetables or something like that. And like uh, the Beach Boys track that Paul McCartney like chewed celery on or something like that. I don't know. But like this huge like concert event that nobody expected. And he's like, why wasn't tonight the night that all my friends came? So, you know, rivalry, but like McCartney came to see his concert. Like that's, that's, that's not a, that's a fan, you know, that, that's yeah. not, that's not someone who's against you. That's a, that's support. See, I, I saw Brian with Al Jardine and Blondie Chaplin touring for the 50th anniversary of Pet Sounds. That was, that concert was 2016. Um, so it was the summer of 2016 when I saw him back in St. Augustine. I went back up to St. Augustine to, to see it. And they had just come from like Iceland or something. Mm-hmm. And so they were at like an amphitheater in a beach community. And you could tell they were just super happy just to be like near sand. <laughs> um, and like the nice breeze that was coming through the amphitheater. So they were really excited about that. But the way the set worked is that in the first third, they played kind of some deep cuts from the greatest hits, like add some music to your day, that kind of stuff. And then after that, Brian said, okay, um, now we're going to play the Pet Sounds album. It's an emotional album, um, but we like it anyway. (laughs) And then from that point on, they played the entire album. And then the last third of the set was them playing like Surfing USA. Okay, yeah. And, And it's at that point in the third set, where it's it's such an emotional album and Brian performing it is an emotional thing too, even though some of the songs Al Jardine's son is singing a lot of the the stuff because he just has the register to do it. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like the crowd didn't know how to respond to to some of the pet sound stuff, like don't talk, put your head on my shoulder and stuff like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for, you know, God only knows and Sloop John B they're clapping and cheering, but for Caroline, no, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> where do we go yeah. and then they're like all right ba 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 and then boomers are up and they're they're dancing and shaking their little tushes and you know, having a great time but there's something about this music that even for the people who had the chance to buy it or not buy it or maybe at that time only got the good vibration single instead you know it it, it still gets kind of a weird response i had to prove that i could make it
Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a challenging album, I guess, and sort of different from what a lot of people think of as the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Beatles had the same thing. Like when Strawberry Fields came out, a lot of their fans were like, "What? This is too weird. Like, we don't dig it." Yeah. Um, it's not the same as what they've been for the last five years. So forget this. You know, the Beatles had way more hits on the radio the first half of their career than the second half. So I don't know. People don't like change and they don't like slow. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. it was, but the, well, what do you think it is? What is it? Because Pet Sounds is like universally adored, right? It is like got like, it is on every critics list of like best albums of all time. And, you know, it is acclaimed. And also it's an object of fascination. Like even long before I fell under its spell, I knew it was like a capital I important album. Right. Like I knew that the way I knew like Bob Dylan's blonde on blonde was like an important album. Like, what is it? Like, what do you, what do you think it is as a, as a super fan? Well, both of those albums are released on the same day, which is wild. Imagine being May 16th, 1966 and pet sounds and blonde on blonde both come out. Pretty good day. Uh, same yeah that that's bananas um but back to that beatles beach west rivalry and i'm gonna get to that like okay the thing about pet sounds is that it's always been like number two on the rolling stone list revolver's been number one sergeant pepper's been number one but now it's what's going on so now pet sounds is higher than any beatles album on the rolling stone 500 list but it's still number two mm-hmm. and i think that's part of like the part of the fascination now is like it's like always a bridesmaid never a bride like it's never going to be like the number one greatest album of all time mm-hmm. i feel mm-hmm. like people feel like very still like defensive of the album that's always firmly in the top five but never number one hmm. you know so i think there's an underdog thing which is always good for a band or a record or a song to have right it's good yeah. to have some sort of underdog thing um there's that but i think why critics like it? I mean, there's just nothing else really like it. And for an album that's so influential, there's really not another Pet Sounds. There's not another Pet Sounds in the Beach Boys discography. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of just like, I mean, it's like just like a lightning in a bottle fascination. But I think that musicians are kind of blown away because at least the Beatles have George Martin and the four of them. Oh, yeah. It was a Pet way Sounds, more collaborative effort. Yeah. Pet Sounds is is Brian. Yeah. And I think a lot of creators are very fascinated with what Brian's doing at that time in the studio. Of course he's, he has the wrecking crew with him as his band. And then of course the beach boys, when they get done touring and they come back, right. Then they're singing on the track, which is another interesting thing. Right. So the Beatles stop touring so they can work in the studio. Brian stops touring so he can work in the studio, but the Beach Boys are still out there doing concerts. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like it's that weird parallel thing that happens in this what we're calling a rivalry, but as we all would agree, there's affection there. So yeah. I think Will to, to your question, I th- I think that actually plays a big role in it, which is that I, we have whether it's a, a fascination with or. Um, you know, a fondness for kind of championing or, or maybe just uh, we kind of love to watch people fall apart in some ways. Mm-hmm. But, but I think, I think Brian Wilson is such an intriguing character and this idea of a person who is obsessive, who has um, 
who is a genius without a doubt, but, but is so obsessive and so, um, I, I mean, so detail oriented knows exactly what he wants and how he wants it. There's, it's like, he has the whole thing mapped out in his head before, before a note has been laid down. And, and I think as creatives and as people who enjoy um, art and music, as people who enjoy the creative endeavors of other people, there is something that's so compelling about a Brian Wilson kind of locking himself into a studio for three months with the wrecking crew and, you know, obsessing over every note and every sound and every swell of, uh, of an album there is something I think, and I don't know if it's an exclusively an American thing, but I, I do think we place such a high degree of value on that kind of fully realized uh, personal dream, personal uh, pursuit. And, and in many ways, I think the same thing we love about the genius of Brian Wilson on this album is the thing that we love about Prince that that kind yeah. of, obsessive person who's going to have their, they're going to get what they want and they're not going to mind taking people off or coming across as, you know, as, as a jackass to work with, like Mm -hmm. this, there's something about the character of Brian Wilson. And I think that that this album comes along, you know, like, like you said, Micaiah, that essentially he, from, for all intents and purposes, leaves touring with the band. The band continues to have a touring career without him so that he can go and put this album together without a doubt, the best thing ever made with the beach boys name on it. And he goes and makes it by himself, at least in terms of the the band members. And, and I think, I think when we see something like that, I think that the same music critics and music journalists that would line up to tear him down for that, um, if the album had been awful, I think there would have been a hundred writers who would talk about his kind of self-indulgent, uh, personality and all of that. I think because the album came across as a success, then you look at him and go, Oh, here's, here's an unrivaled musical genius. Well, it was success and it wasn't, I mean, music, I mean, people like Paul McCartney are like, this is pop perfection, but it didn't sell well. Like still hasn't still ha- I mean still has sold less than three million copies globally. You know, so that's I mean it to the point where, you know, immediately after Capital releases a greatest hits compilation to get their money back. Mm-hmm. And then they do good vibrations, it becomes their best selling single, which kind of saves Brian in the eyes of Capital until he goes to do Smile. Um and that, that's a whole other story. I think when an album, uh, to back up what Rob was saying, I think like when an album gets to be like mythic in its reputation, it's a combination of the quality of the music just as something to listen to, but also the, what the story of the album and what it represents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause all those albums you mentioned, Sergeant Pepper's what's going on. They represent something beyond just the music on the record. Right. Like, and um, yeah, I do think Pet Sounds is like the obsessive genius's masterpiece. Like the word masterpiece gets thrown around. You don't say Pet Sounds without saying masterpiece. And that's like part of its appeal. Um, and Brian Wilson's fascinating, you know, product of an abusive home, uh, overcoming that with his talent, 
the triumph of his obsessiveness, but then also the mental breakdown with smile of his obsessiveness and the collapse. And then the long period of kind of just being out of it. And then the sort of comeback into like at least emotional health Mm -hmm. and just sort of a genial I don't, I don't know if he's happy or not, but he's a happy presence on stage. Like he's mm-hmm. stable and, you know, but he does, he does look kind of diminished by this whole journey. You know, he's not like, he doesn't come on stage and like knock you, knock your socks off with like witty repartee. He like talks slow and deliberate. He looks like somebody who's been wounded and come out of like a huge emotional battle. And like, and so, but that all makes him fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly to anybody who's gone through any like emotional struggle, which I think is everybody, mm-hmm. um, you relate to that part of Brian Wilson. And so Pet Sounds is like uh the high point, the high point of this guy. It's funny that Dylan's Blonde on Blonde came out the same day because I think of Bob Dylan as somebody who's like his motorcycle crash that happened after Blonde on Blonde. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was ever the same after that. Like his music and personality seemed different after that. Right. Um, great in new ways, but the sharp tongued rebel seemed to vanish from Dylan. And then he became this kind of on purpose hobo sort of persona who still wrote great songs, but like Bob Dylan of 1964 is like the, the coolest bully I've ever seen. And then he became kind of like a religious mumble mouth, hmm. um, both fascinating, right? But different. And Brian Wilson after smile is a different man. And so that's kind of fascinating. And pet sounds is like this frozen in time moment of the genius uh, before the collapse. I can He just has a gifted ear also, which is what I haven't, this is kind of what we're dancing around. He has this ear where he can hear harmonies, mm-hmm. right. That, that no one else has really done, you know, and he's, he's doing things with the instruments that, that really shouldn't work. That seem to like on paper kind of defy music theory, but he, he says, no, 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 you have to trust me. Like just play these notes here and it's going to work. You know, just he he just has an exceptional ear, and you. I mean, I think where the mythology kind of gets it wrong is the idea like, and then it was all exhausted on this album, and you know, because I but because after this, there's a great run of Beach Boys albums. The only difference is that now Carl's genius is starting to come out, mm-hmm, and Dennis. Mm-hmm his genius is starting to come out too. And it, they do really great things on subsequent records. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, Brian's ear for harmonies and music and instrumentation is the other exceptional key that where he and his brothers and cousin, right. They're not going to do like, it's going to require the wrecking crew, which are basically, I guess a rock and roll orchestra. Right. It would require something like that to just get this vision out there. And it got done and it got made and it was misunderstood. Um, But ever since then, it's been number two, right? It's that's the other part of this. Like it's, it's revered, it's beloved, but never number one, number one in some of our hearts, but you know, yeah, Yeah. it, it, it is. I mean, there's a movie about this, you know, the love and mercy where Paul Dano plays Brian Wilson intercut with, John Cusack is the older, uh, more tormented Brian Wilson. You know, like that's how mythologized and beloved this kind of period is. Right. Is it, it has its own, fic- like, and there are plenty of documentaries, but also like the fictionalized or dramatized movie. I came along when he broke your heart. That's when you needed someone to help forget about him. I gave you love with a brand new star That's what you needed the most To set your broken heart free I know you cried and you felt blue But when I could I gave strength to you I'm waiting for the day when you can love again also wonder about some of the choices again knowing that knowing what the expectation is because again this is the 11th beach boys album right so this this is an album that i mean they've they're releasing two three albums a year prior to this of kind of feel good surf rock you know kind of you know really agreeable fun pop music and what happens in 1966 when people are hearing this for the first time and you know, you're listening to God only knows and suddenly here's the French horn part that comes in. Like what must that have been like to have been a fan of the beach boys going (laughs) into this album? And then you you're listening to this the first time. That's, I, I wonder if you have that same, I wonder how long it would take you to appreciate all of those choices and those arrangement decisions, or does it all seem like such a hard juxtaposition from everything they've done before that, that it, it's just so unsettling that, uh, you know, again, I was born in 1980. I don't have the experience of having lived through that, but it's one of the things I wonder about. Well, this is how hard the jump is. The previous album is the beach boys party. 
<laughs> it's made to sound like they're like have a couple acoustics at the beach. It's all done in the studio, but like you know, it's like the covers like them at like a campfire, and they're like they'll do a they'll cover the crystals and they'll do Barbara Ann and they'll cover Dylan and um, Help Era Beatles, and that's the album that comes out before Pet Sounds. Like you could not make a greater jump from one album to the next. <laughs> <laughs> and the album before that is Summer Days and Summer Nights. And the cover is them like on a boat and it's California Girls and it's, you know, Amusement Park USA, you know, like and, and that the, both those albums come out in 65, you know, so like it is an enormous jump. The first single that comes out is Caroline No, single yeah. number one. And it's not even Beach Boys is titled Brian Wilson because they're like, <laughs> They're not going to buy this. If it's, if it's Beach Boys and this is the representation, Capital didn't know what to do. So they, they sold it as a Brian solo song first. Yeah. You know, like that's, it, it's that great a leap. As if, as if they had gone from like, please, please me to Revolver. Like it's that great a jump. Yeah. It's way bigger than anything the Beals did. Um, the sixties and I can't, I, I don't know what it was, must've been like, I think it must've been jarring. It definitely was crazy to think about how many super popular acts were making big transformations and asking their audience to follow. I think like the sixties mm-hmm. is really unique with that. Like you got Dylan going from simple folk to crazy electric calliope things. The Beatles, you got the Beatles, just every album pretty much transforming to some degree. You got this jump from the beach boys um even things like little stevie wonder becoming stevie wonder like was like a huge transformation just like i don't care what you whatever you liked in 1964 by 1967 what is this you know like um even crosby stills and nash like or even just david crosby going from the birds to csny is like a huge Mm -hmm. change hendrix showing up is like what is this Uh, i don't know if there's any other period of popular music that had change like that amongst it's like pop sphere. It's always been bands that challenge things and do things that are radically different, but usually they're like on the fringe, you know, the flaming lips will do like an insane album that you have to play in four different speakers simultaneously, but it'll sell like nothing. You know, this is like in the top 10 of the radio, you know, that the, that, that makes a difference. For the biggest band in America to do Pet Sounds, one of the biggest bands in America, that's crazy. Um, I don't know that this. I've never, I've never experienced anything like it in music. The closest I've come is like Radiohead, uh, like just from album to album. Radiohead in the '90s would do big changes. Mm-hmm. Be like, what is this now? No more guitars. Right. The drums are a computer, and uh, and it's just what's happening. Um, or weird, and I'm not that much of a hip hop fan, but I feel like Outcast would do things like this. Like Outcast from album to album would be like totally different in a way that, well, if you were a fan of the last album, get over it because this <laughs> one's totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, but the number of acts that were doing it, the sixties has got everything beat. Here's an, uh, I'll tell you this. I do a podcast on comic books and in the 1980s, mainstream popular comic books, I think was like music in the sixties because Hmm. like Hmm. hugely seismically influential stuff was just coming out like crazy in the eighties from like Claremont and Burns, X-Men, Death of Phoenix, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, Batman stories, 
Alan Moore doing Watchmen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arriving and creating a whole indie boom, Art Spiegelman doing Mouse, which like won a Pulitzer Prize for the story of his father's escape from the Holocaust, all within like three years. And don't forget the start of Sandman. Yeah, Sandman starts there, uh, you know, which is like revolutionary. And these are all highly produced, big time marketed, except for Turtles, which was like an indie like revolution. And to be a comic book fan in the 80s, and I was born in 1970, so I do remember this, was crazy. And it was like, wow, what you knew it. Like, you knew you were in the middle of something big when you were reading it. And I feel like people listen to music in the 60s. You know, the boomers were always super arrogant about their music, and I kind of can get it. I both am annoyed at the boomers, but I'm also like, well, you, that is, it was crazy. Like, you're right. Like, there's kind of been nothing like it. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, Blonde on Blonde and Pet Sounds came out the day you turned 16. Understood. You can brag yeah, about hey, that forever. Yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, at, at the same time, like that's, that's all true. But at the same time, like my dad had nothing to do with what Bob Dylan and the Beatles and the Beach Boys were doing. So like. Oh like, yeah. My, my dad, my dad was of the age where he could have been part of this and couldn't care less. Yeah. He liked Elvis Presley and that's it. Like he did not, the Beatles bored him. He had absolutely no interest in Bob Dylan or any of that. My dad like went to Vietnam and I, and, and or he served in the, he got drafted into the army during Vietnam. He actually never, he lucked out and had to serve a military police um, shift in Texas. So, you know, thank God he never was put in any danger, but he could have been right. He was drafted. He got his draft notice and like enlisted and yet had no political opinions and no passion, no passionate allegiance to any of the music. And I'm just like, well, yeah, it wasn't for everybody, I guess. Yeah. My dad was born in 49 and, but in North Florida. So near the beach. So, but he was more and more into Motown, but certainly the surf beach boy stuff. I remember like trying to like listen to pet sounds and he's like, what is this? Like this, the beach boys, this is not the beach boys. Like he (laughs) was just like, okay. Well, and one of the things I want to talk about, because, because there is so much shift happening here in the sixties, but I I think it's also, I think, I think one, there is so much, there's so much being made and the avenues to reach the public are, are smaller. And so it does feel like everyone's kind of, at least in conversation or some communication with each other. You know, the idea that, you know, a, a band from the UK and a band from California would have this kind of, um, you know, this this relationship of familiarity and rivalry of kind of pushing each other. But it wasn't just happening there. You're seeing the same thing happening in Laurel Canyon. You're seeing the same thing happening in New York. Like there, there are these pockets where all of these artists are kind of coming up together and influencing each other, even despite how different they might be. But you're also seeing all of that happen at the same time that the technology is rapidly changing. So um, the studio, you know, the, the, the boards and the mixing consoles and studios are getting better. Suddenly, uh, you, you know, you move from very simple uh, electric, early electric guitars that are really relying on kind of PA amplifiers are now moving to kind of specific guitar amplifiers and effect, you know, various effects pedals. And now you have effects on the boards and, you know, studio. So all of these things, the technology is also allowing all of this change to happen. And maybe one of the biggest technological shifts that happens 
in in the mid to late 60s is this shift from mono to stereo this this ability to suddenly move to stereo channeled mixes on albums where you have a specific right and left sound uh you know makes the sound bigger you know feels more immersive but it was a shift away from the rock music and the pop music that's coming out of the 50s and the early 60s and so one of the things that kind of becomes defining of this era of music and specifically this handful of albums that come out in 1966 is there are both mono and stereo mixes of of these albums and so uh, let me ask a question that that's probably probably a better question for the obsessive fans of of (laughs) this album is there a better mix is is there a better mix in terms of mono versus stereo uh, this, you know, stereo, of course, is what almost everything is today. Nearly, nearly yeah. everything you hear today is stereo mixed. Yeah. But at this point, because the more popular selling copies of the albums would be mono, because not everyone had stereo speakers yet or stereo amplifiers. Right. The artist had a tendency, and Brian Wilson did this as well, and Paul McCartney did it, which is to spend a lot more time and energy thinking about a mono mix of the album as opposed to a stereo mix. So for, for Will, for you, and also for Micaiah, what's your take there? Do you have a preference on the two different mixes of this album? Is there anything different you hear there? Or do you kind of have any thoughts on just how that technology coming along helps to um, make this an even more fruitful time in music history? I'll go first, but then you can trump me, Micaiah, because I think you probably know more than me. But I prefer the stereo mix for this. And I know that I think record purists are always supposed to pick the mono mix. But the stereo sounds good to me. Like, I prefer mono mixes of Beatles albums because the Beatles slaved over them more and kind of like the Beatles themselves didn't really listen to the stereo mixes too much. So I want the stuff that the Beatles finessed. So I prefer mono mixes for my Beatles stuff. And in particular, the 2009 remastered mono mixes are my Beatles albums of choice. But for Pet Sounds, I think the stereo mix is good. I think it sounds really good and I it makes it leap more in it. I like the the more space it has in my headphones. So I that's the one I pick when I'm listening to it. I mean, the mono mix is beautiful. You can't go wrong, but like I, if I'm picking between the two, I pick that stereo mix, but maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being a Philistine. <laughs> maybe I'm being an idiot. I don't know. You, you definitely make some people upset because <laughs> there, there are definitely people who feel the same way that you do about the Beatles mono mixes because the mono mix is referred to as Brian's mix. That, that yeah. is what the super fans call it. That's Brian's mix. But there's a documentary, there's a documentary series that George Martin did and he was with Brian and they were going over the masters for pet sounds. And George Martin was just like, yoink, 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 you know, doing his magic. And then in the documentary, Brian's just like, in a matter of seconds, you just made this sound better than I ever could. Like when I was making it, you know, so, so George Martin is the master, right. You know, even regardless, uh, no, but I, I feel the exact same way, especially through headphones. The stereo mix sounds really great in a set of headphones. And I've spent a lot of time listening to this record in headphones, in the car. 
And um, on the turntable, I have two large speakers for that. And I have an original mono mix and original stereo mix for the turntable. And um, I mean, both versions of the record are a perfect record. You know, it's, you know, the, the songs are so good. It doesn't really matter. Um, but there are nuances because I did something today I've never done before, which was create a playlist mm-hmm. of mono and stereo versions of the, you know, back to back. So I listened to every song twice in a row, mm-hmm. mono and then stereo. And I really think it's kind of a track by track basis. I think that okay. like um, the mono uh, wouldn't it be nice. I think it's better, but I think that like some stuff opens up more and like the stereo, that's not me. I think it goes, it goes back and forth. Okay, um, yeah. One way I could, I would critique some of the stereo stuff is that sometimes it sounds like the vocals are sitting on top of the track instead of mixed yeah. in with the instruments. Okay. Um, and, but sometimes with the mono, I feel like the, the instruments don't have enough room to breathe. There's so much complex stuff happening that cramming them into a mono mix is um, doing them a disservice. Is it true? On Sgt. Pepper, the old mono versus stereo mixes, mm-hmm. some of the songs sound very different. Like Lucy in the Sky, mono versus stereo, I think they're almost using different takes or something like that. Like, uh, I, yes. but like it sounds very different and um, not every track, like the opening track of Sergeant Peppers, which is also called Sergeant Peppers Lonely Hearts Club Band. That sounds pretty similar stereo and mono, but like Lucy in the Sky, She's Leaving Home sounds different mono and stereo. Mm-hmm. Older Beals albums sound really different. Like a hard day's night. There's a song. Uh, if I, um, if I fell, and on the stereo mix, Paul loses his breath and stops singing. You hear him like yeah. you hear him kind of like miss a note. Mm-hmm. And in the mono version, that is smoothed out and edited out. Yeah. See, I I went through the same experience because I was listening to the songs back to back. And I was thinking, like, are these different vocal takes all together? Like, or are or have they just removed the reverb? Yeah. On this mix, because it's not just like a oh, we'll switch it from mono to stereo. The way that like in the late two thousands, it was just like oh, we'll just make this movie three D now. You know, it's yeah, not right, right, right. you know like uh, yeah. I I I was wor- I was curious about that too when listening to Pet Sounds today, and yeah, I another perfect comparison between them and the Beatles. But yeah, I I mean I love this record no matter what. It doesn't matter mono versus stereo to me. Um. Yeah, I mean, I also have the CD. Well, okay. Here's another thing: is, is and this happens with the Beatles too. They get remastered like every ten years, right? Right. Which is another issue. So, I have the original records, right? So that that's a better one for one kind of comparison. But I can't make like the playlist like I can, you know, with the other ones, but there's like the 2000 remaster. Then there's like a 2009 remaster. And then there's like the 50th anniversary remaster. Version. Yeah. Right. I know. And, I know. And they all sound Slightly different. different. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're doing the stereo to stereo comparisons, of all, yeah. they sound different. Yeah. Yeah. The, for, when I got pet sounds in CD, there was a mono mix and a stereo mix included on the CD. So you could like pick which one yeah. you wanted to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, like all, it was like the first whatever thirteen tracks were the mono mix, and the next thirteen were the stereo mix. You could just like start it at track whatever fourteen if you wanted to hear the stereo mix of the album. Yeah, that's the version I keep in the car, and then I also because you know I'm the the nut, I have the Pet Sound Sessions 
like all yeah. of a sudden, like the acapella version of the album, the instrumental version of the album, Brian, like coming in on the monitor, be like, Hey, how you need to hit that snare harder. You know, like all, like all that, like stuff. You're just like, I got to hear it. I got to <laughs> I got to hear him give notes in the studio in real time. And, or be like, Hey, did you guys see that movie? Oh yeah. It's really funny. Anyway, take two. Like, oh, okay. Great. Yeah, you got a bad. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. You should ever leave me Though life would still go on, believe me The world could show nothing to me So what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you um, I, I want to move on now. We typically do this not in order you know, one to five, but typically just in order of how they appear on the album. So you don't feel any pressure to rank them, (laughs) but, but what are your top five favorite songs from pet sounds? Okay. Uh, Some of this is like, not as obvious as you might think, but I'm going to, well, I'll pick, wouldn't it be nice? Cause I still listen to it a ton. Mm. And I think when the um, drums kick in in the second verse, this is one of the best sounds ever. Sorry, it's the back of the backing vocals. That that snare is the only one that can compete with the like a Rolling Stone snare. Yeah, those, those two snare sounds are. Uh, I, I, I like that grouping. I like that grouping. Um, okay, now then, but then after that, I'm I'm not going to put God only knows in this, and I know that's insane. I, of course, God only knows is untouchable, but I've I've weirdly I skip it because I've heard it so much. Hmm. No, I skip Hey Jude also when I listen to because because it's like I don't need seven minutes of this and I love you know I love that song, so it's no disrespect but my f- personal five are Wouldn't It Be Nice, uh, You Still Believe in Me, mm-hmm. Put Your Head on My Shoulder, Waiting for the Day, and then um, I just wasn't made for these times. Wait, is that five or four? One. That's five. That's yeah, five. those are my five. Hey, why why are those picks? I like the sadness of it. I like the, the, they feel longing to Mm. me the most. You still believe in me. I know it's like, it just sounds, I know the lyrics are reassured, but the music is not reassured. The music is doubting and Mm. scared. Put your head on my shoulder is like, really so hypnotically beautiful. And that was the song that unlocked this album for me. Yeah. So I'm just taken back to the time when I walked into my kitchen and it was playing on shuffle loud on a speaker. And I just was struck by how pretty it was. So that's just like really that experience of listening to it is what strikes me mm-hmm. for I'm waiting for the day. Is this fun? Oh uh, yeah. It, it Relative to this album, like the drums are fun and it's just like, it's a sing along one that I, I think is the coolest um the outro is incredible yeah just it rocks may i may i say yeah the timpanis are in there yeah it rules 
still believe, still in, believe me. in me. Yeah, head in the shoulder. Don't talk. Waiting for the, waiting day. For the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, this wasn't made for these times. Like that to me is like Brian Wilson's like thesis statement of mm-hmm. the album. It's just like I feel like I'm out of time. I'm not in touch. I don't fit in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. That that's one where I do listen to the words and it just I think about it. Like in my life, I'll just be like, oh, just wasn't made for these times. Like uh, I I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things too, where you're like, you weren't made for the sixties, buddy. You are the sixties. You are the sixties. You know what I mean? Like, like, and he, if he's feeling that way, like certainly I can get over my, you know, bullshit, you know, like, you know, there's that part of it for me, but you know, they're listening to it a lot in college and, and then later in grad school and then having a bunch of student loan debt, and working when I got out of graduate school, I was working in a theme park, minimum wage job. And then so listening to, I mean, this is how my go to all the time. So, you know, they say I got brains, but they ain't doing me no good. Ugh, just like, stuff like that. Just like really cuts real deep. Um, but not, not in a way that, but it, it's still light enough to where it doesn't leave you there. You know, it, there's still something that yeah, there's some hope in it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but man, what a journey. I think I got something good going for myself, but what goes wrong? Sometimes I feel very sad. Oh man, that's so cr- I mean, it's so powerful. I keep looking for a place to fit in where I can speak my mind. And I've been trying hard to find the people that I won't leave behind. you want to go or do you want me to go yeah i i'm gonna let you go because i I, i'm gonna save i'm gonna save my list for the end because i want to see if uh will has the same opinion that you do on one of my picks okay we'll see um for me okay so sadly i think i'm at the point where wouldn't it be nice doesn't just it just doesn't have the weight that it had for me Hmm. i can't understand that so like it's the single, so it's also kind of the most shallow in a way. I mean, well, uh, but I'm fascinated by like the Ronettes and the Crystal. So like, I love the teenage love song, and I think this might be the best one because you know, there's the "I'm So Young," right? "I'm So Young," "Can't Marry No One," Ronette song, and I think that's really great. But this, but the sentiments of like, wouldn't it be nice if like we were older and you know we wouldn't have to wait? And there's like there's something about the lyrics here that hit harder than just saying i'm so young can't marry no one like there, it just goes a yeah. little bit deeper by being a little bit more broad because yeah. uh, it's it's so desperate 
And I, and I love that about the song. Um, all that being said, not on the five for, for today, right? Tomorrow. Okay, right, it's right, sure, sure, sure. You know, but uh, you still believe in me, right? I, for things like the, I mean, the melody, right? It's just, and the vocals are just bonkers, you know? Um, and also M. Ward has a, his album Transistor Radio covers the song just on his acoustic, which which also was a thing that helped me like get back into the Beach Boys in this record. So that helps too. That's not me. Great song. I, this to me is like like oh like when I heard this I was like oh this is where like Animal Collective is coming from. This is where like all like so much of the independent music at the time is coming from. That's not me. Like the the way that like the snare not the snare but like the the tom and like maybe the kick drum against the tambourine like that boom to the poons like it's, it's a very complicated rhythm pattern and we don't think of brian wilson we think of him as the band who creates beautiful harmonies and not really intricate rhythm sections and this song has one that's very intricate and very interesting um that keeps a song about just kind of like moving out of town you know uh you know uh a way more interesting song than packing up and splitting for the city but also, of course, my narrative understanding of this album that's loose, but regardless. Um, don't talk, put your head on my shoulder. It's a, I mean, this is a, this is as great a masterpiece as God only knows in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, just like that, like that heavy drone, the only like kind of drum for most of it is just on the ride. Just that ride, just keeping time and just like letting the vocals just wash over you with these swells coming in and eventually some Tiffany's ba-boom, ba-boom. You know, it's just like a real vibey song that, uh, yeah, a masterpiece. And it's kind of a long song too. It's almost three minutes where Beach Boys are kind of turning them out like two and a half minute mark a lot of the time. Yeah. So to be that slow and to just let it be that long. Let it be that slow. Let it be, you know, this mood for that long and put it front load it, put it like at the front of the album, like not far after you still believe in me. It's just a ballsy move. And I, I love it for that. God only knows um, because it's perfect song. It's a perfect song. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed in this. Um, and then for me, Caroline, no. Um, Cause it kind of perfectly wraps up this album and because you know i guess i you know when i i've i've lived through wouldn't it be nice and i i've made it all the way to caroline no now maybe yeah you know? um and i just think it's a beautiful song and yeah it is brian brian's voice has maybe never sounded better um and it's it's the fulfillment of stuff that he'd written earlier we we talked about how you know, there, there, there are these bright spots, these few exceptions when you go back and you hear things like In My Room and like The Lonely Sea, these kind of like more ballad, uh, the, the doo-wop ballad kind of side of like the earlier Beach Boys that weren't like the everyone's having fun kind of stuff that, that would go to these places. And then all of that's kind of fulfilled and fully realized here and none better than Caroline No, which ends with actual pet sounds and the train tracks, which is how Sergeant Pepper, you know, will also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. use some of that stuff as well. So it's nice to have like that connection there. And I don't think it's, and I think the Beatles are saying as a wink and a nod, right? Like 
Yeah. Like, like, hey, man, we'll, we'll go there with you. Those are great picks. Yeah. In order of how they appear in the album, in, in Makai and I, we had talked about this today in preparation for this conversation. And for me, there, there are really six songs that are kind of perennially in that five. And so you can swap out kind of any of those six in there. And so for the sake of our conversation, I think, wouldn't it be nice? Um, wouldn't it be nice as a phenomenal song? It's, it's as good as an album opener as the beach boys ever do. But for the sake of this conversation, I'm, I'm going to leave it out. Mm. Cause I want to focus on, uh, on, on the other song that would make my list, which my first song will be, that's not me. Hmm. And, uh, in, in the thing that I love, this is one of those songs, the architecture of this song blows me away because I, I love when, I love when an artist writes, whether it's creating a character or, or kind of making this vignette for, you know, this kind of short story for a character, this journey that the character is going to go on. But I like when the, the choices musically, you know, fit that. And the, the key change in that's not me. One, it's a really interesting key change because it's, it's a key change from an F sharp to an A. So essentially it's a, it's a, it's a key change that is a step and a half, which is really uncommon in pop music. Traditionally a key change in pop music, especially in the mid sixties is a key change. That's one full step up. It normally comes after the bridge and the, you know, the modulation out of the bridge into the one step up, you know, key change chorus, but the key change that occurs essentially in the second verse of that's not me, that's a step and a half up key change. And then rather than the key change going up again, the key change reverts back to F sharp at the end of the song. So this, this journey, this kind of, that's not me, this picture of trying to discover yourself. Everything's about, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this, but that's not me. I'm going to do this, but that's not me. Ultimately to kind of, arrive back at this very kind of domesticated life and experience that, you know, he's kind of fleeing from in his youth in musically that, that change from that, the F sharp up to the a back to the F sharp, this kind of returning home musically that that's then matched lyrically in music. I mean, it's, it's this beautiful picture for me of Brian Wilson, not just as a songwriter, but then thinking through every step of the arrangement and making sure that all of it matches to bring such kind of elevation to this song. And so that, that's not me is my first pick. Um, Don't talk famously a song about not talking. Um, Maybe the most mature song on the album in terms of its, in terms of his lyrical content. My third song is the side a closer, uh, Brian Wilson produced an arranged version of the Caribbean folk song, Sloop John B. We come on this Sloop John B, my grandfather and me, around Nassau town we did roam, drinking all night. Well, I feel so broken 
so will you just laughed a little bit at that in micaiah um went off at me earlier today about this being included <laughs> in my list I think, I, so i, I want to hear, I wanna hear will's, will's thoughts on this i mean it's a hit right it's a single like i they play it on airplanes when you land places and like you can hear it on the radio still and it's catchy and it's cool. I just like, to me, it was like him as he's trying to appease the record label and it's, it's not really part of pet sounds to me. It's just like a real solid beach boy song that belongs on another album. It's really, really good. I mean, but also if you listen to the Kingston trios version of it, he's pretty much copying their arrangement straight up. So it's not, he's not even bringing his Brian magic too much. He's just kind of like, I like this song. So I think it's like the least meaningful track by a long shot that you're picking, but it is catchy and it's happy in a way that the other tracks aren't. And it's kind of light. It's kind of light in a way. It's a good contrast. Like it is a nice, when you're listening to the album all the way through, it's kind of a nice little break, but I don't ever go put on Sloop John B just to hear it. So it shows up by chance and I'm like, all right. My, uh, my exact words today to Micaiah when he, when he was astounded that I could possibly have chosen Sloop John B. I said that it is the palette. It's the side B palette cleanser that this song is the closer to side A to prepare you for all that you're going to get into inside B. It's sure. this, it's this little bit of sorbet before your entree and in, inside B yeah, in yeah, this album. And, and, and I love it. And again, for such a heavy melancholy, I, I mean, you, you talked about, you talked about like longing, you, you or Makai talked about the sense of longing that you hear in this album. And um, I think it's the, the Robert Criscow review where he, he writes about this album and he's, he says, Brian Wilson's voice uh, reveals that everything he desires is just out of arm's reach. And, and I, I kind of love that, that picture of Brian Wilson on this album. And so I like as heavy as this album is, as much as I enjoy it, I like that little kind of three minute breather you get in the middle of the album with Sloop John B. And so I, that it's a, it's a song I really love. And again, as someone who just loves a good, well-fashioned pop song, it's a catchy little pop number. Yeah, no, I, it is. It's, See, here, it's endearing that you pick that. Here, here's where I got in trouble is I told Rob for my list of favorite Beach Boys songs, Sloop John B doesn't make the top 100. <laughs> so this is where this is where I get in trouble with Rob. Um, I mean, that's so, pretty extreme. Um, and uh, I stand by it. I, <laughs> I stand by that, it. Uh, that, that feels like the extreme opinion of someone who's got a point to prove. I mean, it's it's just not an interesting song to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. I mean, and I like even like the older teenage romance stuff. I I love that like doo wop bubblegum kind of stuff. I I love that. You know, um, let him run wild is something that I would put like miles above this, and this is. The recording is interesting. Like California Girls is like a very interesting, strange bubblegum pop song. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is just it ain't where it's at. You know what I mean? Like um yeah, like Wild Honey. It's a three like, it's a three chord pop number. You know, Wild Wild Honey has these like lo fi pop songs that become the precursor to to glam rock. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, I, like, I love Wild Honey. 
Yeah, Wild Honey rules. Tony Fisconti, who produced T-Rex and David Bowie, is like, yeah, this is what we were listening to. Friends and Holland, that strange album with that California saga. Like, I'll take all of that over Sloop John B. What does Co- what does Kokomo relate into in terms of Sloop John B? Uh, it's not canon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it was not canon. Uh, so, okay. so, so, uh, so Sloop John B beats Kokomo. Sloop John B absolutely. So, so Sloop John B beats was, was was my third choice in uh in in my my uh I knew for certain I was going to get stick from it from from Micaiah and uh, it's okay. Look at, but that but that's the Beach Boys, you know. Like they have like about twenty studio albums, but like sixty compilations. Yeah, you know what I mean. And we think of something like Sloop John B as one of the great Beach Boys songs because it's like one of like maybe the two songs on this album that keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, on 60 compilations, how many Beach Boys records have Sloop John B on it? Only one has Don't Talk. And how many songs can you identify from the first half second? Like as soon as it starts, you know what it is. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's like, oh, that's Sloop John B starting. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's iconic. Like it's, I'm not going to knock you for, or put it, but I do think it's the least interesting song on the album. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. So my, my, my fourth choice with unquestionably one of the greatest 10, 10, 15 greatest pop songs ever written. God only knows just, Mm -hmm. I mean, as, as great a masterpiece as Brian Wilson will ever write in his lifetime. Um, it, it, one of those songs that again, every, every take, every note, what, what ended up, what ended up on, on the record. I, I mean, I, I don't know that there's any way possible to make that song any better. I, I think it arrives fully. I mean, touched by the gods. It's it, just a perfected song. Um, the, well, one thing we haven't talked about about that song is how great Carl is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Carl's voice what a is great vocal. Yeah, perfect. It's it's it's, it's the, the just like the most perfect vocal take. And I mean, the, the last bit of the album right, where everyone kind of gets their go at it, you know. Um, but this very complicated like set of harmonies, and they're all kind of you know in the round, kind of coming in at a different time, singing the song. And I mean, what, what's a better picture of the Beach Boys like hearing all their voices? you know, together, but not quite at the same time, which also is, you know, uh, demonstrative of the way that the song was written and put together and then record, you know, like it's the moment where they all get to be together and do the Beach Boys thing mm-hmm. on top of this song that is very complicated. Um, and I don't know if this is one that Mike Love is particularly, you know, excited about or, uh, you know, criticize heavily but there's you just get the best of what brian's where he's wanting to take the band but you also get the sense that like the rest of the guys can get there they can get there with them and and they will yeah well Um, and and one of the things i should have mentioned when we talked about that's not me for as impressive as all the arrangement everything is in that song this is the band i mean this is this is that's not me as a song is is the song on this album that isn't the wrecking crew. This is the beach boys playing on this. Yeah. The band rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then my final would be Caroline. No, which again, if there's any song on this album 
that I feel like is the evidence that the album is becoming unlocked for me. It's Caroline. No, because this, mm-hmm. this was a skippable track for me early on in my life. In the last 10 years, this has become one of my favorites. Nice. And, and again, I think it's one of those songs that a bonkers choice to be released as the first single, <laughs> the only, the only song released, you know, the only pre-release single before the album came out. Um, which again, like, <laughs> I, I I think in that week of radio play of of uh, Caroline, no, that's that's why the Capitol Records rushed to get Sloop John B out a week after the album came out. Oh, that reminds me about another thing I want to say about Sloop John B because <laughs> I will never let this die. Uh, the B side on Sloop John B isn't even another pet sounds track. Like it's like the label was just like, okay, we want this single to do well, but we don't want people to go back and find this album. Cause that shit's just too weird. They go back and but find that's the truth for Caroline. No, too. Yeah. But it also comes out before the album. And of course, it, like I said earlier, like it's Brian Wilson, not the beach boys on the 45, mm-hmm. you know? So they're, they're afraid of this album. Okay. I'll, I'll leave it alone. I'll yeah. Leave it alone. <laughs> but so, so here's the one thing I will say is strange to me talking about singles. So, only three singles released from this album. The final single released, the only single not released in March of 1966, is Wouldn't It Be Nice is the final single released, and it's the only one with a B-side from the album. The B-side to the Wouldn't It Be Nice single is God Only Knows. Oof, what a single. I, I mean, what, what a single. But, I, I mean... I think that definitively makes God only knows maybe the greatest B side in history. The Beatles would do that all the time though. You got, you're, you're in trouble. If you go to the Beatles, like we can work it out. was a B side. Revolution was a B side. as like a double A side. They would run as a double A side. Yeah. yeah. Come together was a B side. Yeah. But an album opener, you know, yeah. so it's, you know, that, that, that's a tricky one. I'll say, well, but I feel like, I think the Beach Boys sometimes don't know what's great about the Beach Boys and Capital sometimes doesn't know what's great about the Beach Boys because mm-hmm. speaking about Beach Boys singles, A-side, I Get Around, great song, right? Like, no one will deny it. Sure, but, sure, the, sure. but the B-side, Don't Worry Baby, which Ooh, is... What a winner. That that could be the best Beach Boys song. Um, I love it. Maybe. I mean, that that's the one where I saw Brian. Well, that's the one where, like, I didn't expect it, but maybe I should have, like, was in tears. I was just like, oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Oh, oh my I goodness. Can... You know, I think that might be maybe the best Beach Boy song still. Uh, it's just so perfect. But also because it's Brian trying to write a Ronette song. And I, I love the Ronette, so. <laughs> that's I know so many people who think they can do it alone.
Will, we close every interview with this question. What are your top five albums? Now, this could be what you think are the best, your five favorite, five you're just currently listening to. My personal top five. Here we go. Let's do it. Uh, um, uh, White Album. Cool. Uh, Armed Forces by Elvis Costello. Nice. Lincoln by They Might Be Giants. Exile and Guyville by Liz Fair. Cool. And for number five, I'll say, fuck it, Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. Cool. All right. <laughs> I'm glad you said White Album because when we were doing our Beatles episode, I was like, okay, but if we're going to choose Revolver, why not do the White Album? Because it's Revolver times two. You get more. <laughs> you get even more. And Armed Forces was my Elvis Costello pick against Rob's um, this year's model. model. Yeah. So that's uh, both great picks. And I think this year's model probably is more influential. Um, but the, you, you can't go wrong with those two for Elvis Costello. The, no, the Nick no. Lowe Elvis Costello run is like on It's insane. It's yeah. insane. I, I'm I am surprised Lincoln as as your they might be giants pick. Yeah, when, I know it's it's kind of a weird pick for they might be giants. It's not flood. It's kind of flood l- minus, but I don't know. It's got an Anna Ng. Yeah, just, they're they're a they're a fun band that doesn't. Um, you know, they, they they're kind of always man. just there under the radar, but a great, great band. Make a hole with a gun perpendicular to the name of this town in a desktop globe. Exit wound in a foreign nation, showing the home of the one this was written for. My apartment looks upside down from there. Water spirals the wrong way out the sink, and her voice is a Backwards record, it's like a whirlpool and it never ends. Anna and I are getting old and we still haven't walked in the glow of each other's majestic presence. Listen in and hear my words to the ones you would think I would say if there was a me for you. All alone at the 64 World Fair. 80 dolls yelling. I love it. Well, Will, thanks so much for being our guest. We loved having you. Appreciate the time. And uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Anything that we can tell our listeners to be uh, focusing in on? You guys did such a diligent job of plugging all my stuff. I really appreciate it. I'll just say um, you can't handle the sleuths on CBB World. It's behind a paywall. So so it takes a little bit more effort to get to it, but I'm super proud of it. So if you got any Earwolf... um, Comedy Bang Bang fans out there, I'd love for you guys to go check out You Can't Handle the Sleuths at CBB World if, if you're so inclined. And, I, and I'll say, I, I listen to it. It comes out monthly, right? And it, I mean, it's had Dan Lipper, Lily Sullivan, Paul F. Tompkins, Sean Diston, and so, so many more, like, just Yeah, and there's some the people I think that the Comedy Bang Bang World is not as familiar with. There's a Christine Bullen, who's my friend, and I think one of the funniest people ever, and she has not been super heavily featured in the CBB universe, but I think she's as good as anybody, and I would love for CBB people who might not know her to get introduced to her. Uh, Greg Valance, another guy. Describe the show because it's a very interesting. You can't handle the sleuths. It's actually I'm going to change it, but it's it's been a bunch of sleuths are at a murder scene, not are at a crime scene, and they try to solve a murder. But it's improvised, so everything gets like insane and yeah. made up. And we, the actors, do not know who the guilty party is going to be. We decide kind of as we go, uh, and it's really fun. Although I think the next episode, I might I don't know yet, but I think I might be the only sleuth, and I'm going to have four suspects. 
and I'm I'm going to be overwhelmed. We'll see. But it's it. it's basically an improvised like the end of an Agatha Christie novel where the detective gathers everybody in the room and says who the killer is. But it's improvised and it's for an hour. Um and it's really really fun. It's a great show and also if uh, anyone gets on the CBB world, uh Will just did a CBB FM uh kind of radio show uh with Scott Ackerman where he talks for over three, three hours. hours. It's crazy. Yeah. It's too much, but uh, it was really fun. <laughs> Scott's a huge music fan and he's got an amazing collection. And it was, I felt super lucky to get to talk music. Cause I don't know music is, I mean, I, I know a lot, but once I get in a room with guys like you or guys like Ackerman or Fogelnest, I am dwarfed. I am, <laughs> but uh, I still love to do it. So I really am. I really appreciate when I get opportunities to analyze music. So woo. Thanks guys. Thanks. Thanks. Well, take care. We've talked a lot about Pet Sounds, right? Being like always up there on the list of great albums. But I wanted to, to talk about other thing, other albums just just a little bit. So what's, what's interesting about going back to the Beatles and Beach Boys rivalry is like there are a set of like Beatles albums that we've decided are the best albums, right? When you get like a big 500 list, you're going to see Please Please Me, Hard Day's Night, Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper, White Album, you know, Abbey Road. Like, you will for sure see those albums and let it be awesome, right? They're there. And it doesn't seem like there's a consensus with the Beach Boys. So, like, on the Pitchfork 60s Decades list, you know, and the Enemy 500 and the three different versions of the Rolling Stone 500, you see Surfer Girl, Right. Um, but you'll also see the Beach Boys Today, Pet Sounds, Smiley Smile, Wild Honey, and uh, Surf's Up and Sunflower. Right. And so, like on the Rolling Stone 500, uh, Sunflower is on the first one, not on the next one. Um, and now on the new one, Wild Honey is there. And, but if you look at the NME, they have. You know, uh, this album or that album, you know, uh, Holland is on the NME 500, you know? So, like, there's no really consensus of what the great Beach Boys albums are, and they they move kind of constantly on these lists. Like, so I feel like people are always kind of going back. Pet, Pet Sounds is kind of right, it's right at the center, right? And it's really high on all of these lists. But then you have this entire career before and after it this people are always discovering and rediscovering and making it onto lists and off of lists. And I kind of love that too. I, I love that sometimes this era is being represented and then like, Oh no, now, now it's this set of albums and that set of albums. And I, I, it's very interesting to me that this is a band where there are about 10 albums that are on all of these great albums of all time list but they're happening at different times and they're not all on the same list, which I guess is the most condition I'm trying to say. And I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that it's very cool. You're absolutely right. And, and I think it's telling of the quality that is there across these albums, but in some ways, I think the reason that you see, so, I mean, I think Pet Sounds is the obvious one. Pet Sounds is kind of perennial top five in every list. 
um surfs up is is kind of the the other um you know if you're gonna see a top 200 top 300 list surfs up is gonna be the other beach boys album that is is seemingly gonna make every list but you're right the kind of sunflower wild honey how like there's there's six or seven other albums that kind of show up on some and not on others and you know, kind of go through, you know, phases of being underappreciated and then rightly appreciated, and then maybe kind of a pushback of them being overappreciated, you know, so there's, there's constantly that flux happening. And I think a big reason for that in, in, in some ways, maybe this is the reason that pet sounds is kind of forever. The bridesmaid, never the bride Mm -hmm. is that when you're talking about, the Beatles, for example, you know, th- there are five choices, you know, that, you know, th- there, there are a hand, you know, if, even if you're talking, you know, Bob Dylan, or if you're talking like uh, all of these kind of huge artists that we think of from the sixties, mm-hmm. there's, there's multiple picks, you know, Ped sounds is far and away the beach boys pick. Yeah. And, and I think not just because, it's the best album, which it definitely is. I, I mean, I, I look, I, I love Surf's Up. I love Sunflower. Um, there are songs I love on Wild Honey. There are songs, you know, we, we talked about Heroes and Villains. Like, there, there are songs I love on Smiley Smile. Like, but when you get right down to it, Pet Sounds is, is head and shoulders above anything else the Beach Boys would ever do. And when you have something that's kind of like, not is it just an outlier for them? Cause it's kind of, you know, again, this huge shift for them as a band. And then the albums that follow it aren't like it either. They have this kind of like weird standalone album that is perfect or near perfect. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bunch of really great stuff but nothing else seems to be touched in the same way. Nothing else seems to have the, the same magic to it or the same kind of story around it. And again, that, you know, as, as Will was, was, I think good to point out, like when you start getting into conversations about the greatest of all time, sometimes the songs in and of themselves aren't enough. Like you, you have to have the mythology around it. Sure. I, I do want to mention this because as you and I have talked about albums in the past, we have traditionally talked about things like great opening songs. Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, come on. Great. Oh, yeah. track. great hey, closing, you know what? This is great. a, this is a rare one where I uh, did a top five without an opener. Uh, well, yeah. And neither did I, yeah. Um, this might be a first for us. Um, but we I mean, both, I still talked about it at great length, so yes. maybe it's a technicality, but whatever. We both had Caroline No, the closer of this album. Another great song, great opener, closer. I think the bookends of this album on each side, and again, say what you will about Sloop John B, and you said a bunch. <laughs> but, I think, but I think it's a great side A closer. And God only knows, side B opener, I mean... This is a great, great album. My only complaint about this album, the only thing about this album is we think about classic albums. This is such a weird cover. Yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, it has become iconic only because we've seen it so often. 
But um, it's weird, right? I mean, what we didn't even talk about is what's pet sounds? What's that mean? You know what I mean? Like it's a, and some of the theories are that, you know, when they, um, on the, the board in the studio, there were a lot of the tape that said PS and kind of the mythology is that that was short for Phil Spector. It was Brian like, Oh, we're trying to get the Phil Spector sound. And then I guess people would ask, like, oh, what is this? Um, and they say, like, uh, pet sounds. Or the other story is that Mike Love hears the record and it's like, this, this just this sounds like animal noise. It sounds like pet sounds. Like, this doesn't even sound like, this doesn't sound like the Beach Boys, you know? And then they actually have the sound of animals. And, I, and I'm not even certain if that's added before or after Mike Love's, you know, comment on it. You know, so it's, it's a weird title. It's a bananas title it doesn't isn't really for an album that's so heavy emotionally it but to have such a silly safe title is it's very funny to me but it doesn't but it doesn't seem like it's intentionally funny you know like the album could be called caroline no and that would make so much more sense Mm -hmm. right but that's not what they did you know and 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 the album cover is so on the nose like well if we're going to call it pet sounds what should the album cover be? I don't know. Put the boys in their brownest clothes and send them to a zoo. It's a weird cover, but also like let's, let's put everyone in matching suits at a petting zoo. Right. You know, it's 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 bizarre, but you know, but there's something about the green bar at the top and the yellow and white bubble letters that make it work. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's strange. It's not in a time where album covers now are also artistic statements. Like in 66, like Blonde on Blonde and Revolver and, you know, King's albums, Freak Out by Mothers of Invention. You know, there are a lot of people are now using the album cover to also make an artistic statement and to, you know, maybe be an indication of what's on the record. And this album does not, you know, and this is something I was saying earlier. It's like, sometimes I don't know the Beach Boys know what's great about the Beach Boys. I don't think Capital sometimes know what's great about the Beach Boys. And I think that's kind of what lets them thrive. So, Makai, let me ask the big question here. And, and I know your favorite album of all time. I, I, I know it's going to be really unpredictable what your answer yeah. is going to be here. Does this album deserve to be on our list? Yes, it does. Follow-up um, question. And- follow-up question. Where on our list do you predict this album ending up at the end of this season? Rob, you are a loose cannon. I, I don't know, and you've opened up a little bit more about where you stand with the album now, but I, I, because we rank best and favorite and then kind of do like college basketball rules of how to like kind of get these numbers up, I fear that it won't even make our top 25 because I don't know where you are. And I also feel like if it's not in our top 10, that we will lose credibility. It'll, it, I, I predict that this will be in our top 10. I, I hope so, because I, I, I think we could lose credibility if it's not. I don't think this will be in our top five, but I predict this will be in our top ten. Uh, that hurts to hear, um, but I will learn to get over it. Um, because, again, as we said before, I, I struggle with your all-time favorite record. Uh, U2's Joshua Tree. Hmm. Uh-oh. That's the sound of you tanking pet sounds 
no on our, on our list. No, I'm not. I'm look, I'm not petty. Here's what I'll say. Your our friendship and your love of pet sounds and my trust in your taste is what convinced me to invest the time mm-hmm. in in pet sounds. And all I can hope is that our friendship and your trust in my taste will be enough for you to invest the time in Joshua Tree. Hey man, I uh, late last year I was I I did U2's discography. I did the whole thing. I've listened to uh, you talking U2 to me, the the Scott Ackerman Adam Scott podcast. Uh, you gave me a copy of Joshua Tree, which I think is a a a wonderful gesture for someone to give another record collector to give them a copy of their their favorite record i think that's a very uh significant and important gesture to make and that and that means a lot to me that that having that copy of that record on my shelf means a lot to me because you gave it to me you know so that that artifact that actual artifact the material record that i have means a lot to me much more than the contents of that record because you gave it to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get that. And, and that, and that side one is nothing but bangers, right? It's, it's an incredible side one. I have side two issues with it, but that's sure. And in in fairness, but but that's, that's where I think that's where I think that you're, you're probably right in, in you two famously front loads albums. Yes. Yes. I mean, um, if if you uh, nearly without fail, if you're looking for a big U2 hit, it will be a side A song. Yeah, I think what you're saying is "Unforgettable Fire" might have to be our U2 pick. Is that what? <laughs> uh, bringing it back around to Pet Sounds. Yes, um, listener, go and listen to this album. Go listen to this album. We've talked a lot about this album. We've talked a lot about the songs on this album. We've talked a lot about what they mean. And even though we have talked about Caroline No an awful lot in this episode, you have not heard it until now. So listener, we ask of you to follow us, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're already following or subscribed, will you like, rate, and review the podcast so others can find it? Will you reach out to us online on social media at on Instagram? We are at you forgot one on Twitter. We are at you forgot one pod. Of course, our website is you one.com and we will leave you now with the closing track of this album and the first single released from it. Caroline. Now. It's so